Well, it's good to be here with you all this morning. This is a little bit out of my comfort zone. It's a while since I've um, taught, but I'm um, glad to be here. It's just delightful to look out at all your beautiful faces, all these women who want to know and love Jesus even more. Um, today we're in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Jesus, or Jesus, Deidre, um, called this, named this chapter, she'll like that one, named this chapter Desire, and that's what I found throughout the whole thing doing it, is she has created such a desire in my heart throughout studying the kingdom of God that I just want to lay myself before him. Well, I had that desire going into this, and I thought, wow, Deidre left me with judgment. And God continued over the last few months to really, really convict me of my judgmental heart. I thought that maybe that was something I had under control at 50-something, but I don't. Um, so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about his way, to, the way that Jesus showed us not to judge, but to come before the throne of God in prayer for ourselves and for others. First of all, in case you hear any quotes that are not my own, I want to um, recognize some of the sources I use. Um, Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. She's quoted him in here. I call him um, Uncle Dallas because I think he's such a special guy, even though he's in heaven now with Jesus. Um, this is The Good and Beautiful Life from the Apprentice series. It's a second book. Um, there's a great chapter in here on what Jesus is talking about, about judging others and how to do that rightly. If you've never done the Apprentice series, put it on your bucket list. It was life-changing for me. And then the other one, of course, is um, the study that we've done here with Deidre and how helpful that was, um, and, and most of all, the Bible. And I have my Bible here and spent a lot of time asking seeking and knocking for Jesus to show me what this passage meant. So first of all, let's do a quick summary on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been on spring break. Maybe some of us were gone the week before, so we've been gone for two weeks. Let's um, do a recap of what the sermon has been. Um, Jesus began his teaching preaching and healing, saying the kingdom of God is near. We learned that the kingdom of God is his effective range of will. He said, follow me. And then he goes up on the mountain, just like Moses went on the, up on the mountain. Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments and bring them back to the people. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Beatitudes, that's what it's called now, to say, I have come to fulfill these commandments, that not just to follow them by every jot and tittle, as the phrase is in the Bible, but to turn them upside down and say, it begins with what's in your heart and who you're becoming, not what other people see. And so that's what he starts to do. He starts out with the Beatitudes, and we learn that the Beatitudes, Deidre called the Behappitudes, or it's a place of blessing. The Beatitudes are at the center of the kingdom. When you find yourself discouraged or sad 
or wanting to have more of that desire to follow after Jesus, go back to the Beatitudes. You know it's in the, um, Matthew chapter 5 now. Open up to there and just read those and read how Jesus wants to bless you. Dallas Willard says that being blessed is saying all is well, all is right with me and God. Don't you want that place of peace where all is right? Jesus gives that to you. He tells you you will be blessed. Then he goes on to tell us as kingdom people, we're to be um, people who influence the community around us. We realize or we're told that we're salt and light to go out into the world and be that. That's an individual thing, that we are that salt and light. He's focusing on that. And he tell, gives us boundaries for what this good life, this good life in Jesus looks like. Not rule-abiding, faithful, religious followers but this good life that is full of love and grace and mercy. And so here we are. We have this unquenchable desire to live as kingdom people, as individuals, this life where we are poor, we recognize we're poor in spirit, we're humbled, we need him, we're meek, we hunger and thirst for that righteousness that he wants to impute into us. We are called peacemakers. If there was ever a time, ladies, you would agree with me. Now is the time that Christians need to be known as peacemakers. And how do we bring that about in our world? We, um, and at the core of all that, we're loved. We know we are deeply loved. So Jesus is going to show us how to be in the community and how in the community we enter into the throne room where we present our requests on behalf of others before God. To make this passage come together, one of the things I learned about teaching is always teach with the end in mind. So what's at the end of this chapter? It's verse 11, the golden rule that even if you weren't raised in a church, you've probably heard the golden rule. If your kids are old enough, they've learned the golden rule from you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You can only do this if you know you are loved. And so that's what Jesus is going to point out, the difference between being loved and the opposite of that is being rejected. So we want to get to the point where we say, how do I truly, truly do to others as I would want them to do to me? We don't get there by sheer will. We get there by God's grace. And so we're going to look at judging others. We're going to look at logs and sawdust. We're going to look at um, dogs and what's sacred. We're going to look at pearls and pigs. And um, just a side note, in God's cute humor, I was flipping through a magazine yesterday, a catalog for a store, and they had a little ornament that had a pig with pearls around its neck. I thought, okay, is that for me, God, to really show me you got to quit this judging, Jill? Um, so let's, let's start with reading Matthew 7. 
Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And then he says, instead, look at this way of living. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, who knocks finds, and him who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. So that's where we're going at the very end. Um, let's talk about judgment and you don't have to say this out loud, but how do you feel when you're judged or were you, you're condemned? I'm sure that there is not one person in this room has not felt judged at one time or another. You feel belittled, you feel unworthy, you can also feel like you wanna defend yourself, you wanna fight back, you wanna tell them how wrong they are. Certainly, love is not at the center of somebody judging us. And we know love is at the center of our worth. We know that judgment is a natural activity of the intelligent minds God has given us. We judge all day long. We have to judge all day long. How long is it going to take me to get to the church this morning? I often judge wrongly. Um, <laughs> How far should I follow this car behind me so that I don't run into them? Or what about you sweet mamas here nursing your babies? Is that enough? Do they need more? We're constantly judging. And so it's part of the gift that God's given us as human beings. But we know the problem is, is when that judgment turns to condemnation when that judgment turns to criticizing someone else. What are we doing when we judge in that manner? I think we're really putting ourselves in authority over others without knowing their background story. We hear a snippet of what's going on and we are quick to judgment. As Christians, this is where we can be salt and light in our world. All you have to do is open up your phone, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, and it is a barrage of judgment, of slander going all different directions against all kinds of people. 
Jesus says, let me tell you how you, salt and light of this world, should use judgment. First, he says, get the plank out of your own eye. Well, one thing about the plank is it's bigger than the sawdust. We know that, right? But if you have a plank in your eye, you cannot see clearly. You don't know what's going on. So spend time with me so that you can see clearly. And when you see another person, do you desire love and grace and mercy and beauty in their life? Or do you desire to rip them apart? Because you can't have both, hold both at the same time. Another um, aspect of judgment is our need to fix other people. We're smarter and wiser. We've been there. We've done that. Let me fix you. I read this book. I read this passage, and I know what's good for you. How many times have we done that? The problem with that is we are trying to control the world around us. And the whole idea of giving to dogs what is sacred, do dogs know the difference between sacred and unsacred? No. Do pigs know that, are pigs able to digest pearls? No. Now, if those pearls are mixed up in their food or if they're just alone, might they try to eat them? Yes. But they're not going to be able to digest them. It's not good for them. They'll eat them, and then they'll say, okay, we're hungry, we want more. And you give more pearls. And then they attack you. Well, let's think about this as far as judgment is concerned here. You may have great pearls of wisdom that you want to pass on to someone else. But if it's not good for them, if they're not ready for that, it doesn't mean that they're not smart enough. It doesn't mean that they're not... Um, wise or can't take care of themselves. It's simply you have pearls of wisdom that aren't going to benefit them at this time. I think of two different examples. One came to mind, which you mamas can really relate to, and that is if your child asks mommy, where do babies come from? You don't go into a whole scientific explanation for a three-year-old. You give them what is good for them at this time. Or what about deciding you're going to have a ministry to drunk people in a bar. And you have the love of Jesus in your heart, and you want to just pour this out on this person. Is it going to be good for them at that time? They're not in their right mind. They're not even going to remember. You will waste those pearls of wisdom. So ladies, this has nothing to do with what, judging whether someone needs to hear the gospel or not. That's not what this is about. This is about, do we, out of the love of our hearts, give good gifts? Yes. And so then he goes on to talk about our children. We give our children good gifts. God wants to give us good gifts. We know that when we um, share pearls of wisdom or thoughts that might come across as criticism of another person, that we need to come out of love and discernment. We need to ask if it's welcomed. We need to know the person. 
And if when we're in conversation with them, it turns into an argument, I think that's where Jesus is saying, we need to step back. We know that no one wins when there's a power struggle. No one wins. Let's come in grace and peace and love with those who we know and maybe who we don't know need to hear the word of God and his love. So remember, living in the kingdom means living in relationship, in relationship with God and others. And that's um, what we're going to get to next. Um, One of the things that Dallas Willard said in a video I was watching with him and John Ortberg is he said, what's the most compelling reason to desire living the good life or the kingdom life? I'm not a Christian. I don't know anything about this. What is the most compelling reason you can give me? And Dallas's answer was, well, let's just start with your relationship with others. When you live the kingdom way, your relationships with others will improve. And our relationships with others dictate how we move and think and act in this world. So let's think about that when we're trying to live this kingdom life he's called us to, to improve our relationship with others is one place to begin. I mean, I just even think of Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus was in favor with others. If they rejected him, they didn't even come near him to get those pearls of wisdom. But when he did give them out to the people around him, they found favor with him. So now... We know how not to judge or condemn others, thinking we need to share with them all that we know and is right. We let God be on the throne in the kingdom. He invites us into that throne room. And in that throne room we come and we get to the passage of ask, seek, knock. There's theologians that um, some think that this is about um, petition, and supplication and other things you've heard about prayer, a lot think that this is specifically about intercession for others. And the reason is Jesus has been talking about our behavior as individuals, and then he's showing us how to behave in community with others. So when we come before God and it says ask, it's simply God wants to hear what's on our heart. Don't you know that when you ask for something, you become vulnerable? Because that person can say yes or no. But he says, ask. You won't know if you don't ask. Ask me, your good father, who wants to give you good gifts. I um, thought of the example of when I was young. I, younger. Um, <laughs> I thought, well, my husband should see that the dishwasher needs to be empty, and there's toys on the floor, and there's laundry to be folded on the couch. Can't he see that? I shouldn't have to ask him. Well, really, this passage changed my mind. I just thought, God wants me to ask him for everything. Maybe I should ask my husband. Would you mind emptying the dishwasher? Sure, no problem. He's never said no. 
He's always willing. He just doesn't see what my priorities are. Now, we know God sees those priorities, but he wants us to come to him and tell him that. So that's the asking part. Then I think of the seeking part is God doesn't want us to come to him with our fists closed. He wants us to come to him with our hands wide open, saying, the fist closed is, God, heal her from cancer. Please take this cancer away. I can't do this if you don't heal her from cancer. The open hand says, God, show me how you're working in my life and her life with this cancer. Give her hope and grace and peace in the midst of it. Lord, thy will be done. We come with open hands, and then we can hear God's heart. And then the knocking is simply to be persistent. How are you going to know if God's answered a prayer if you're not staying aware? How are you going to know he's answered that prayer if you're not staying aware in bringing those requests before him, in looking in your surroundings, in your daily life? How is he showing me he's answering this prayer? He just had somebody come over to love on her when it was a really hard day after chemo. He just sent her a card in the mail. Isn't that what I'm praying for, this person in the midst of that? I need to be aware of those things or I won't see how God really wants to answer those prayers. So that's the ask, seek, not. Many of you know that um, life without prayer would um, be so empty and you don't know how you would be standing here today especially if you're the recipient of prayer. I hope you all have had the feeling of you come before God and say, I can't even pray. I can't even pray. I'm too broken. And yet you see God holding you up by the prayers of others. That's what he desires to do. So don't ever, ever underestimate your prayers. I think that's going to be a surprise when we get to heaven is the power of our prayers. We serve a God that loves us more than we can imagine. He desires to give us good gifts. He's constantly saying, come to Papa, let us love together. He's standing there not ready to condemn, but to hear our prayers and give us good gifts. When we see that that's how we relate to people, then we can do to others as we would have them do to you. You want people to be holding you up in prayer, not judging you. You want people to correct you if you're on the wrong path, but not if it doesn't come from love. It has to come from love. So that's why we always have to begin in prayer. Let me share a little story with you. Let me see if I have time. I'm a little bit over. I'll try to make it short. Um, Deidre, in, in the last chapter that we did, talked about that wholehearted living and the importance of vulnerability and um, asking God to cultivate new habits in our life. Well, I just so happened to be reading that Daring Greatly too, and she's talking about that vulnerability, and I shared a story with Deidre, and she said, you have to share that story. And I thought, 
I don't know that I want to be that vulnerable, but, um, but I will, and hopefully you can relate to this. I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, I was raised by two parents that loved me, and, um, but I had a lot of insecurities going through high school, um, and a lot of, with those insecurities come judgment. And I went to high school in a school that had four di- or five different floors, and we judged people by what floor they were on. So if you were on the green floor, you smoked dope and you smoked cigarettes. And in my high school, you could still smoke in the school. Um, yeah. And so you had to go there to get off the bus. So whatever you did, you didn't want this creepiness to get off on you. You went through with your hand over your mouth. Then, if you were a freshman, you went to the yellow floor. But you didn't want to spend much time there because you didn't want people to know you were a freshman. So you spent a lot of time going up and down the stairs. So they really didn't know that. Then, if you were a cool sophomore, you could move up to the blue floor. No, no, not blue floor, to the purple floor. But that's where the cool juniors were, and they didn't really want you there, but you could walk up and down and be thought of as cool. Whatever you did, do not spend a lot of time on orange floor. That's where ROTC and the nerds are. That's where the math classes and science classes are. So don't be seen there very often. And if you arrive, you are on the blue floor that looks over the mezzanine, that there's no glass there. That's where the cool people, seniors, and some cool juniors get to be. Well, that's where I always wanted to be, and I always judged all those around me. Well, then it's time to, and during this time, during high school, I worked at Safeway. I started out as bagging groceries, cleaning the scum off the floor, worked my way up to checker. When I became a checker, I met Kathy. Kathy was another checker. She was married to Frank the Butcher. And they were really nice. And I worked there with my best friend, Leslie. And, um, and Kathy and Frank would have us over to their house. Well, in very short time, Kathy had one baby, and then she had another baby. Mind you, Kathy is around our age. I don't remember exactly, but she's 18 to 20. And so we would go over to her house, and I just had a moment where I thought, this is my life. This is where I'm going to end up. If I don't get my act together, I'm not going to get to go to college, and I'm going to be married to the butcher and have two children and live in an apartment and not know how I'm going to pay for diapers, and they didn't have a car because they couldn't afford a car. And so I made a judgment at that point. This is not the life I want. I decided I was going to really start saving. I was going to go to college. I'm able to get to college against the better judgment of my counselor because he tells me I'm not smart enough to go to college, but I decide, okay, it's college or babies, and I know I don't want babies at 18. So I um, go from Alaska to Bellingham, Washington, all alone, scared, lonely, insecure, and maybe thinking that this counselor is right. But here I am in my dorm room. I leave the door open, hoping somebody else will see me all alone in there. And these girls across the hall say, hey, can we meet you? 
Come join us, come play with us. So I kind of followed them around. They looked kind of cool, so I wanted to be with them. And um, they were nice, they were funny, we laughed. And then one night, about two weeks later, they said, hey, do you wanna come to this thing at our friend's house? I'm sure, I don't have any friends, I want to belong. So I go there, and it starts out with all these people singing songs about God and Jesus. And I think, oh, this is strange. I've never seen anything like this before. And then they do this kind of skit to, to kind of make a point about what's wrong and how to live right. And I thought, oh, that's kind of good. I think I can agree with that. And then they go on to open a Bible and talk more about Jesus. And I thought, huh. This is kind of interesting. I've never been to anything like this before. And we leave that night, we go get ice cream, and then I hang out with them for a few more weeks. They never talk about Jesus. They also are extra kind and loving and welcoming and inviting. I feel like I'm making these friends for life. I um, am alone one night in my dorm room I took my record player, but I forgot my records. So I asked if I could borrow some records. Well, all they have are Christian records. So one gave me this record by Phil Keggy, who talks about little pilgrim walking down the road of life. And I thought, that's me. And I decide that I'm gonna ask Jesus into my heart. And I go over to their room. I hear the noise where it is. I go to Heidi's room, I said, I think I just asked Jesus into my heart, but I don't know what that means. And they said, oh, there's a party in heaven. This is so exciting. Let us pray for you. We're so happy. And I thought, wow, this is cool. So that's when I gave my life to Jesus. I said, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Because I didn't encounter somebody judging my behavior and telling me how I'm supposed to act or behave. They said, well, first of all, you need to start reading your Bible. Okay, do you have a Bible? Yeah, we'll give you our Bible, start in John. Okay, I start reading John. I'm telling you ladies, you have to understand where the unchurched people come from. It's like, Jesus said these things, there's treasures in heaven, I shouldn't gossip. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Oh, I'm supposed to be humble? I've never heard that. Love one another as I have loved you. Oh, I'm loved? I can love other people? I couldn't get enough of it every single morning. I woke up early. I went into this little, truly it was a closet before I knew we were supposed to pray in a closet. And I would say, Jesus, show me what else to read. I fell in love with scripture. And that changed my life. Ladies, I want to encourage you that I was not, I judged others. I made the, ju but I made the judgment that I don't want to stick to this life that I'm in. That was a good judgment. Then I was loved and I was deeply loved and shown where this love comes from. That's in the scriptures. I started my first Bible study. I fell in love with Jesus. I went home at Christmas and I told my family, 
Guys, did you know this about Jesus? Did you know he loves you? Did you know he wants to have a personal relationship with you? I loved my family so much I wanted this for them. My mom and dad started going back to church. My mom ended up getting baptized. I got to pray with my father to accept Jesus Christ. It was just so beautiful in those early years. And then I kept going to Bible study and I kept learning more and I became an adolescent. And adolescents always masquerade as maturity. Let me say that again. Adolescents always masquerade as maturity. And so I could start telling people how to live their life because after all, I knew what was in the Bible and I knew what God had to say. And so I just started telling everyone they didn't want to hear what the Bible said. They wanted to know they were loved. And in came that judgment again. Well, God convicted me of that. I realized that I, he said, come back to your first love. Come back to that love you had for me and you had love you had for the people around you. And then the maturity started taking place. I'm not there yet, but this maturity is leading to wanting to mentor other girls, wanting to love Jesus more wherever he calls me. And so some of you ladies that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, remember God wants you to use those gifts to love on others. And those of you that are young, new to the gospel, or maybe you're not that new, but you might be at that place of adolescence, careful careful of how you use God's word and how you bless others. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for a church that welcomes women's ministry, that we sit here to hear about your great love for us and how we can pour that out to others. Lord, as we go throughout this holiday season and we're with those people, those Uncle Bubba's who we don't even want to be with, we have two choices. Lord, I pray that we would choose prayer over judgment, prayer over letting their harsh words tear us down, prayer over choosing not even to go because we don't want to be with them. Lord, let us go out into this season being salt and light in your world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.